Good morning. Good morning. Check. Am I on? Yeah? Okay. Hey, welcome to Livingstone Calvary Chapel. I'm glad that you guys are here this morning with us, and um, we can worship, take communion, and study God's Word together. We are going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles and turn there, uh, there's a one in the back of the seat there with, um, for you. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can follow along. But um, we have some announcements to go over here first. Good Friday service is coming up April 15th. Uh, Pastor Jeff from U-Turn for Christ is going to be leading us in time of devotion. Um, and then our worship team, we're going to have a night of worship. They're going to be leading us through um, some, a bunch of different hymns. Um, and um, as we prepare our hearts and minds for Resurrection Sunday, right? You know, it's a, it's a glorious time that we celebrate this time of year. And we're going to do so in many ways. We have our Easter services at 7 a.m. Um, Sunday morning outside in the amphitheater. It's our sunrise service. And then also uh, we have an indoor service here at 9.30, and we'll have full children's ministries going on, nursery and all that. None at the 7 o'clock. So if you come at 7, keep your kids outside. You can come. They're welcome. Um, it should be good. So pray for good weather. And uh, in addition to that, we have on uh, Palm Sunday, April 10th. That is next Sunday. Wow, coming up quick. Next Sunday, we have a, a missionary from Chosen People Ministries, a Messianic uh, Jew who is going to be taking us through the last week of the Messiah on Sunday morning services, next Sunday, both services. And then that evening, he's going to be doing a special message uh, alongside a banquet Passover Seder dinner here at the church uh, entitled The Messiah in the Passover. And so we're going to do a uh, traditional uh, Seder meal with lamb and um, all the fixings, matzo ball soup and... uh, some other things that I know what it is, I just don't know how to say the word for the food. Um, so you're welcome to come. I know there's a sign-up sheet out there. I, I, don't, I think we had like seven or nine spots. I can't remember how many we had left. Someone's going to yell at me. Ten. We have ten spots left. So this is, we only have a spot for 96. And so if you haven't signed up for it, please do so. Um, and if you want to like, Make sure you get it. You probably should do it now. Now. <laughs> Beat everybody afterwards. No, um, 10 spots left after that were full. So it's $10 per person. That's to cover the cost of the food. And then um, in addition to that, those guys out there at the table are also collecting the money for those who have signed up for men's retreat that's coming up at the end of the month. Um, um, one last announcement, beginning May 7th. So this is coming up, not this month, next month, Saturday, May 7th, we're adding an additional weekend service at 5.30 on Saturdays, and we'll have full children's ministry and nursery available for you guys to come and bring your kids. An alternative to a Sunday morning, you can come on Saturday evening if you want, and we, we're doing that, I hope, with the parking needs and some of the needs that we have here in the, in the sanctuary, but also to give another alternative to our community, another option to our community, a lot of people in our community, as you know, work shift work, and so they can't always make a Sunday, but maybe they can make a Saturday. So let people know and invite them. All right, um, Mark chapter 6, as we begin, we want to pray this morning and pray for um, uh, the other churches in the community. Uh, the one on our list this week is the Vineyard, and the, the pastor there, his name is Pastor Luke. And as I was preparing, as I try to prepare every week, um, not just for the message, I try to wrap my heart and mind around the real reasons for why we're here. And, and we're not here because it's Sunday. Just want to let you guys know that. You know, Sunday just happens to be the day that we come together and it's the Lord's Day when we worship Him and we fellowship and we hopefully encourage and grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. But, you know, I think, I think we need to be challenged on a regular basis as I challenge myself as we spend 52 weeks um, or seven, or one Sunday out of out of out of, of 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 or one day out of seven out of the fifty-two weeks where we join together in this way, um, so that it doesn't become just a routine thing for us to ask ourselves, what what am I here for? What what am I here for? Biblically speaking, what am I here for? And and to know that there's a purpose behind being here, uh, and there's many reasons for it. But one of the things that God really impressed on my heart this week as I was studying and preparing and considering 
Um, I've been doing a little bit, of, well, not a little bit. I've been doing a lot of more study in my time, my personal time in, in prophecy because of the things that are prophetically unfolding in front of our eyes today in the world when we look around. And when you study out some of the Old Testament um, prophecies and some of the things that Jesus said, man, the stage has been set, and I'm excited about the Lord's return. And so in light of all of that, um, the things that I want to encourage you with that I've been encouraged with this week as far as maybe a purpose or a reason for why you're here or what you should be hoping to glean from while you're here is that, is that by being here, we should, we should be looking to be prepared to walk in the works that God has appointed for us. Being prepared, being equipped to walk in the works that God has appointed for us because we've been left here for a reason. We have a mission. And we're going to talk about that more today in this study through Mark. But also is that, is that my hope is for myself and for you as a result of being here today that you would be better prepared, that you would be better prepared for Jesus' return. He's coming back. And we should be prepared. We should be ready. We should be living expectantly. I want to keep encouraging you to do so. So as we begin this morning, keep those things in your heart and in your mind, and um, let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Father, thank you for our time here this morning. Thank you, God, that you have given us a job to do, a holy work to do while we wait for your return. Lord, you've appointed these things to us that we may walk in them. So God, give us the discernment to see them and know them, the willingness, Lord, and the flexibility to set aside our own schedules um, to, to really live for you and not for ourselves. And Lord, that we would see your hand working in the land of the living. We would see you working through us and around us, Lord, in other people's lives and in the um, events that go on in this world that line up with what your word says is going to come to pass. Father, I also pray for the Vineyard Church today. I pray for Pastor Luke as he's standing in the pulpit and teaching your word. Lord, I pray that's what would be taught. I pray it would be taught with truth. Lord, empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that it be his words that come forth. That it be your words that come forth and not his. I pray you would strengthen Luke and your in your power and your might, and we pray for the congregation there, our, our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord, who have called upon your name. Lord, I pray you bless them today. I pray you provide for their needs. I pray you would strengthen them. And I pray, God, that through their time of gathering together, that they too would be better equipped and prepared for the works that you've called them to, Lord, and also for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, last week we went through this, uh, the first verses of this chapter. We made it through six. And we looked at the fruit of unbelief, right? This, this chapter is a thread that lines through of faith and unbelief and faith and unbelief. And, and, and in doing so, as we saw this, this fruit of unbelief in these first six verses, we were shown how God takes unbelief seriously and, and how unbelief ultimately produces three destructive things in our lives. The first thing unbelief will do is blind our eyes to the obvious and it'll make us skeptical of the things of God. And, and then secondly, unbelief will poison our hearts. It corrupts our hearts and it allows for our bitterness to take root in our heart and ultimately causes us to mock the people of God and, and also the things of God. And then lastly, unbelief, ultimately I think what it does, the result of it, at least this side of eternity, is that it robs us of our joy. And it robs us of the blessings and the opportunities that God has waiting for us, that God desires to give us. And, and in regards to the unbelief expressed in the first part of this chapter, in these first six verses, in regards to the people of Nazareth, those who are of Jesus' um, hometown, right, as we read last week, the greatest opportunity when we look about missed opportunity and lack of joy as a result of unbelief, the greatest opportunity that they missed out on as a result of their unbelief was primarily and foundationally this, it was the opportunity to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They knew him as the carpenter's son, right? The son of Mary. But ultimately, they refused to know him as the son of God, as the Savior. And in light of these things, of all of these things, and they did this, they did this, they chose this place of unbelief in spite of or in light of all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus had said. 
Because these things that Jesus had done and said over that last year before them in the, in the, in the, in the, the land of Israel that people had come to know about were evidences. They were reasons for them to believe. And it was obvious as a result of those things who Jesus was. But instead of believing the truth, they were blinded and they were offended. However, as we read on, and we examine now, as we look at specifically the faith of these 12 men that Jesus called to himself, these 12 men whom Jesus sent out in these verses, there's a contrast being painted for us on how we become the partakers of God's blessing and the awesome opportunities he has waiting for us as we choose to walk in faith by believing in who Jesus is and in what Jesus has said. And so as we read on and see how the belief of these 12, these 12 disciples, ultimately the 12 apostles, apostles, these men who had left everything behind to follow Jesus, we see how their belief, their faith, afforded them the opportunity that we read of now to be sent out and to receive power. It says, the power for the work that Jesus was sending them out to do. And this blessing was given, this work, this opportunity was given in order that they might preach, it says, about the coming of God's kingdom and tell their fellow countrymen about the Messiah, the one whom God had foretold of had come, the one who had come to save them. And so in verse 7 of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark, it says, And he called the twelve to himself. And began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he also said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you've departed from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, When you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will not, it will be more tolerable, more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of judgment, in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed, anointed with oil many who were sick and he healed them. And he healed them. So let's look back to the beginning of this, this section here. And when we, when we begin to put this into perspective, we have to consider these 12 men, right? These 12 men were the apostles, the men who God had called unto himself, whom Jesus had set apart unto himself. And we know when he first called them, they called them to leave everything behind and to follow him. And, and the reason, or maybe the purpose, for that is, is even further revealed here as we see things coming to pass. But ultimately, it was for the purpose of teaching and training them. God called these 12 to himself so that he might teach them and train them so that they ultimately may be a help to him and eventually be able to continue uh, in the work that he was in in the moment and then also after we know after he had returned to the Father. And they didn't know this yet. The apostles didn't know that. The disciples didn't know that Jesus was going to die, that he was going to rise again, and that he was going to ascend into heaven, you know, and, and that they would be left behind to continue this work that he had been sent to do, to preaching the good news of God's kingdom. But we're told of this in Mark chapter 3 where we read about that time when Jesus went onto the mountain and prayed all night and then called 12 to himself. It says in Mark chapter 3 verses 13 through 15, it says, and when, it says Jesus went up on the mountain and he called to himself those whom he wanted. And they came to him and then he pointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. And that's what we're reading of here now. And in regards to the events that we're reading about here in Mark 6, it's been about a year. A year has passed since that day when Jesus called these 12 men up to himself and appointed them to this place. And Jesus had called these 12 in order to set them aside, to be with him in an intimate way, in a special way that that all the other disciples um, were not let in at this point. 
And after spending about, after spending this year, about this year, following after Jesus and being with Jesus, it was now time, according to verse 7. The time had come. It was now time, according to verse 7, for them, it says, to be sent out. And when Jesus and, and Jesus was sending out his disciples simply to do the same thing that he had been doing. The things that he had spoken when he read from the scroll of Isaiah. He had come to preach, to heal the sick, and to free people from the, 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 the dominion of Satan's kingdom. From, from demonic possession. And the Greek word that's used here in verse 7 for the word sent is the word um, apostello. And, and it's where we get our Greek word apostles, very similar in structure. And it, it simply means one who is either sent away or one who is sent out. One who is sent away and one who is sent out. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have also been set aside, have we not? We've been set apart unto Christ, called to Him, to be with Him, to walk with Him, to follow Him, to learn from Him. And in the same manner, we've also been sent out. The Bible says, in power. We know it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And not in our own. Just like these first 12 were sent out with power so that, so that we may also preach what the Word tells us is the Gospel message, the good news message, and ultimately make disciples for Jesus. In fact, this was the last command that Jesus left the church and, and I, I've, I've shared this with you before. I mean, I had the opportunity, and I'm still involved in Fremont Regional Hospice, and I was their chaplain for, for three years, and um, I got to be with a lot of people at the end of their death, at the end of their life, right as they near death. And, and if you've ever been with somebody who's in the process of dying, you know that the words that they speak sometimes, not all the time, can be very profound. They're well thought out. They know time is short, and they want to make use of the time that they have left they want to make good use of it. And so they say important things. And Jesus, this was before He was going to ascend into heaven, there on the mountaintop with His disciples. And this is what Jesus says to him. This is the last words that Jesus spoke. Go therefore, Matthew 28, 18. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and as we take this on through this text, I think it's worth pointing out that in these first verses, it also tells us that when Jesus sent, when he sent these men out, he sent them out in pairs, not alone. And the wisdom made known to us here, the wisdom that is made known to us um, here, or the wisdom that Jesus puts forth, is illustrated um, in Ecclesiastes. To send them out in pairs, two by two, not alone. Because in Ecclesiastes, the Psalm, Solomon, he writes this very familiar passage of Scripture, but consider it in light of what we see Jesus doing here, and perhaps even the call in our own life as, as a church body. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friends can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm when he is alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And ultimately, Solomon says, the threefold cord is not easily broken. And in light of what we're reading here, we know that third-fold cord, of course, what Solomon refers to and what we know in regards to Life in general, as God brings two together, whether it's in marriage relationship or, or through the body of Christ, is that God is that third strand that binds us together supernaturally. And it's not easily broken. And Jesus, being that third strand of the cord here, sends these men out two by two in pairs. And by sending out the disciples in pairs, Jesus, in a very practical way, was making it safer for them to travel, better for them to work together, not only because they could, they could be a help to one another, but also they, they could be an encouragement to each other. They could share in the struggles. They could share in the victories. And they could ultimately learn from each other as God worked through them. And I believe these are things that are important for us to take note of because as followers of Jesus today, those who are sent out, 
You know what we're called to? We're repeatedly called throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, over and over and over again. If it's not the words of Christ, it's in the letters that were written to the early church. We're repeatedly called to have fellowship with one another, to be in fellowship. And more importantly, it's really with this idea of living in community with one another. Living in community with one another. And yet many who profess a faith in Jesus, we know that many today avoid Christian fellowship. You probably know of people who avoid Christian fellowship, yet they, they claim the name of Christ. They isolate themselves from church and from other believers, and they do so for many wrong reasons as they try to justify what God has said as good. They say, it's not good. It's not good for me. And they look to go through this life, sadly, on their own. And they, don't, they do so, people do so, and, and we may be tempted to do so as well in spite, of the, in spite of the many biblical warnings against this kind of behavior. Some of the favorites that I have is the one that says in the Proverbs that a man who seeks to separate himself seeks his own. It reveals the intention of our heart when we try to isolate, when we, when we seek to not be in Christian fellowship, when we seek to not live in community, we, we avoid accountability, we avoid encouragement and all these things, and, and we're seeking to just go on our own, to do things our own way. But also in the book of Hebrews, there's another encouragement, and the author writes, and he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching, the day, the day of the Lord's return. And I think that this is the time that we're living in. I think this, this passage re- refers specifically to our age because we see the day approaching. And this, this instruction for us to be together, even more as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching, it's, it's, it's simply due to the fact that I don't know about you, but things appear to be getting harder. This world that we're living in is more difficult. It's more dangerous. And as a result, it's more discouraging as we see this world grow darker and darker and move further and further away from from God. And to have brothers and sisters in the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, to walk with you through this life together, to do kingdom work together and ultimately to wait for Jesus' return, it's a great thing. It's a healthy thing. It's a helpful thing. It's a safe thing. And this is what Jesus had in mind in sending these men out in pairs, sending them out two by two. And then, of course, it says it gives them, he gave them power over clean spirit, over the unclean spirits. And, and of course, this was a to be a demonstration of the power and authority that they had and, and to validate the words that they were speaking. And Jesus equipped them this with this power and it was ultimately what they needed for the work that they were being sent to do. And God promises to do that for us by the power of His Holy Spirit to gift us, to equip us. And He also gave them some specific instructions here in verses 8 through 11. It says He commanded them, right? He told them, this is what you want to do. He gave them instructions, and in these instructions, he was telling them, he was telling them um, what they were to do and what they were to take with them. And these specific instructions had two different purposes. The first was in light of the fact that, that at this time there was a law, a rule from the Jewish rabbis that you couldn't enter into the temple area with certain things. You couldn't come in with shoes, your money bag. And it was because as you went into the house of God, you, want to avoid it, you wanted to avoid the appearance of, 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 of even being engaged in any other kind of business. You didn't want people, you wanted people to see, you wanted your heart to be right, where go, this is why I'm here. There's no other distractions that are gonna set my mind or take my mind off of the reason for why I'm here. That there was a holy work to be done when you went to the temple of God. And, and it wasn't necessarily a command that came from God, but as these priests, as these re, re, Jewish leaders would would make these rules, there was often a good reason behind it. And so this, this was a similar message that Jesus was trying to communicate to, with the disciples, is, is that um, 
Don't give the appearance, avoid even the appearance of being engaged in anything else other than what I'm sending you to do. Jesus was paralleling what the rabbis had already put forth. And, and I think that this, paralyzes, par, that this parallels into our own lives today. And, and it reminds me of a message that was given to the early church as Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to Timothy. And encouraging this young man, Timothy, as he was pastoring this church and he was serving God and calling others into service. And he said to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust, teach these same things to other men who will also be qualified to teach others. He says, Endure hardship. And now he gives this example. All these things. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Why? He says, for no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Not distracted with the things of this life. He stays on focus. He stays on mission. He's about the task. Why? Because it says, Paul writes, he wants to please his commanding officer. And these disciples who were being sent out by Jesus were engaged in such an important work, such a holy work, preaching the gospel and bringing God's healing that they could not give the impression to anyone that they had any other motive or any other directive, that they were on God's mission. Furthermore, within these instructions, as we look at them, we see that Jesus was basically telling his disciples to take what they, take what they already had, take what they had already owned, and to not go out and buy some special equipment, right? That they didn't need to stack up a bunch of stuff and go out. They didn't know how long they were going to go out. They didn't know exactly where they would be going to. Um, all of that would be revealed to them along the way. But what we know is that, um, is that there were different, these, each one of these men had different personalities, we, we, we can study out their life, and we can see that. And, and I, I would assume that in the crowd, in these 12, as Jesus was giving these instructions, that there was some of them, and I think perhaps Peter that was like, he's like, yeah, guys, we got it. We don't need anything else. We don't even need a pillow. We don't need a blanket. We'll just pull up a rock, lay our head down. You know, Peter is a fisherman. He's an outdoor kind of guy. And then there was Matthew, the tax collector. He was probably a little different. You know, Matthew's thinking, okay, I need to go back home. I need to get my bags and, 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 and fill them up with things. And, <coughs> excuse me. And, 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 and Matthew probably, I mean, maybe I'll have to give an account to Matthew of what I'm saying about him today when I get, get up there and talk to him. But, um, you know, I just picture there's, we're different like that too, is, is the point. You know, some of us, when we go on vacation, it's like a backpack. And your wife's all, did you, did you at least bring your toothbrush? What do I need that for? No. And there are others who are like have four or five bags. I've been on vacations with people who take like four or five bags, and it's like we're only going to be gone two days. I know. Do you think this is enough? And, 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 and here's the deal. They, they, Jesus was saying, don't, don't take a bunch with you. Just, you. just You got what you need. Don't go out and buy any special equipment. And this is because they were not to be loaded down. As Jesus was sending them out, they were not to be loaded down ultimately with things that could hinder them. God would give them what they needed along the way. They were not to be loaded down with things that will, could hinder them from doing what they were being sent to do. So no distractions and no hindrances, and Jesus wanted them to be properly supplied. We see that. He says, take this, take that. That's what you're going to need, but not to the point of ceasing to live by faith. Again, the theme throughout this. Faith was the thing that was giving him this opportunity to go forward and to preach. They had made the decision to follow Jesus. They believed in who he was saying he was. And, and Christ had poured himself into them over this last year. And now he was sending them out, but it was still a call to faith. Faith gave him the opportunity, and now that Jesus was calling them to, to live by faith. In light of this, I'm reminded of what um, the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. To not be hindered, right? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight. Let us lay aside every weight. Let us not be hindered. And he said, and he said, and the sin, lay that aside, which so 
easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love the imagery here. Because it, it, if, if you think about it in your mind, it, it's, it's um, hilarious when you think about running a race, right? You know, how many marathoners do you know that put backpacks full of bricks on their backs and run? I mean, some people in the military do it, but that's only because they're like being abused. <laughs> but most marathoners, they wear as little clothes as they can, the lightest shoes that they can. You know, they want to be swift and fleet and not hindered. And in this imagery that we're given here is like someone who's getting ready to run a race and filling up a backpack full of rocks and putting it on themselves to, to go the race. And we, we all see that that would be a foolish thing to do. And so laying aside the weight of the world and the sin which can easily ensnare us so that we can run this race, the, that we can do this holy work that we've been called to and not be obstructed or hindered in any way. And, and the point is, is God desires ultimately as we see these instructions given to the disciples, and we're reminded of some key things for ourselves this morning, is that we have to consider this, we have to see this, is that God's desire is for us to look to Him and for Him to provide and for us to completely rely upon Him. We should remember, I think, what we read in Matthew chapter 6. I think Jesus goes into more detail about it as he, he gives us these illustrations about you know, traveling through this life into this work that God's called us to do in faith. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, he says, This is why I tell you not to be worried about the food. And drink you need in order to stay alive or about clothes for your body. After all, isn't life worth more than food? And isn't the body worth more than clothes? He says, look at the birds. Do they not sow seeds? Gather a harvest and put them in bar barns? Look at the birds. They do not sow seeds. Gather a harvest and put them in barns. And yet your Father in heaven takes care of them. And are you not of more worth than the birds? Can any of you live a little bit longer by worrying about it? And why worry about your clothes? Look how the wildflowers grow. They do not work or make clothes for themselves, but I tell you that not even King Solomon with all of his wealth had clothes as beautiful as one of these flowers. It is God who clothes the wild, it is God who clothes the wild grass. Grass that is here today and gone tomorrow and burned up in the oven, won't he be able all the more to clothe you how little faith you have? So do not, start, do not start worrying. Where will my food come from? Or my drink? Or my clothes? These are things that, that pagans are always concerned about. Your Father in Heaven knows that you need all of these things. Instead, instead, be concerned about everything else with the kingdom of God. In other words, stay on mission. Seek first, right? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. All that He requires of you. And He will provide you with all of these other things. This was the message to the disciples as He sent them out two by two. And it's the message to us this morning. And so as we look at faith and unbelief and this call to live by faith, to walk by faith, we like these 12 were called, we are called, like they were called to do, we will be given the same opportunities to do what God has called us to do and, and to see ultimately how God will also provide for every one of our needs. Now we should notice that Jesus also told the twelve that as they ministered from place to place, right, that they would encounter two things. Hospitality and hostility and friends and foes. There was adversaries that were going to be on the way. There would be people who would be 
receiving them and, and helping them in their call. And, and, and such is the case today, and we should not be, be surprised by either of those things. But in light of this, he also told them to stay at one house in each community and not to have this, this pick-and-choose mentality. You know, not to, not to go into a, a city and get on their phone and, and look through the best VRBO or the best Airbnb and, oh, that one's got a hot tub and that one's got a pool or, or any of these kinds of things. And, and this was in regards to food and accommodations. And we might think, what's the reason for that? But think about Mark's gospel, right? What's the theme, the main message? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to serve and to not be served. And he had been witnessing this servant's attitude and this servant's heart and everything that he said and everything that he had did for them and before them during this whole period of time. And now he was calling them to the same thing. Guys, I'm sending you out on a mission. Be a servant. They were to be like Jesus. They were to be servants and not, and not be like a pampered guest. Like, oh, here we are. Lay out the food. Give me the best bed. That's not the idea. That's not the heart. They were to serve and not look to be served. And man, that's a good reminder. It's a reminder again for us today. Did you know that, that in servanthood, it comes with sacrifice? I've heard it once said, and it's always resonated in my heart, you can't do ministry without sacrifice. And yet we, we sign up for things and we look to be a part of ministry and to be the servants of God, right? But we, we, we forget or we, we look to do this without any personal cost to us. And maybe we even do so in the sense, maybe even unknowingly, but to check our heart again this morning, do we do it in such a way where we're looking for others to accommodate us, to serve us? I see that sometimes in the church with, with leaders, and it, and, it, and it disgusts me because that's not the example that Christ gave us. And he's telling these guys, he's saying, boys, I'm sending you out. Be a servant. Don't be picky. Don't be choosy. Don't be about the, whatever they feed you, whatever they, wherever they house you, be grateful. Look to be a servant. Don't look to be served. They were to be a servant. And so in faith, believing in Jesus, these men went out and they did what Jesus told them to do. And, and, and as I think about this, and we're going to see as we look on next week, you know, how it turned out, but we're not going to get there. But it's encouraging to me when I think about these men and imagine in my mind, you know, a little bit about them that, that it's, it's encouraging me that God would send a group of ordinary men like these guys to represent Him. Think about that. To represent Him. Yes, it was a holy mission. Yes, it was an important message. But, also, but ultimately, He was sending them out in His name, with His name, to represent Him. It's encouraging for, for lots of reasons, but when I remember, and we should remember, that, that maybe only a couple of these men were really educated or trained men, sophisticated, you know, in that kind of sense. In fact, we know that, that um, after Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples were sent out and Peter was empowered through the power of the Holy Spirit, that they were preaching in Christ's name. And, and there came a time when Peter and John were arrested for preaching the name of Jesus, they had, they had been forbidden to do so by the religious leaders, and yet they continued to do so, and they were ultimately arrested. And it tells us that they were in the courtroom, and they were speaking out on their own in their defense, and those in the council recognized that they were uneducated men and said this in Acts 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Why? Because they realized that they had been with Jesus. They realized that they had been with Jesus. Did you know hanging out with Jesus will make you smart? <laughs> it does. You know, these guys who, who quite possibly only spent a few years in formal education, you know, no seminary, no no theological degrees, those kinds of things, that, that the, the boldness in which they spoke, the confidence in which they spoke, with authority, with power, with knowledge, with understanding, with truth, in spite of their 
uneducated and untrained ways, these people who were, they were, they were, were speaking to in this moment, they were amazed because, and the only thing that they conclude is that they've been with Jesus. And in light of this, we should see that what qualified these uneducated, untrained men to be apostles, these sent representatives of Jesus, was the fact that they had been with Jesus. We should, not enter, we should never underestimate that. You know, we live in a time, guys, I want to tell you right now, I, I hear over and over and over and over again of churches who have no pastor at all. There are many in our own community that have gone a year or two years without a pastor. Some of that's because of leadership's fault. Some of it because there's just not, not, not things available. I, I, I answered a, uh, uh, what do you call that when you give a reference? Someone called and asked for a reference on somebody I knew that was candidating for a church in Wyoming and, and was asking for references. And they told me, and it's like, we sure hope this works out. And, and because they'd been with a, without a pastor for two years. But some of the things and some of the questions that I get asked are, are I think, are foolishness, you know, in the sense of, of, of some of these standards that, that in the, in the questionings like, you know, do they have a master's degree in theology? Do they have a doctorate in this? And, you know, and, and, and I always come back to, to this with them. I said, let me tell you the greatest thing that I can say about this individual that you're asking me about. As I say, I know that they know and love Jesus and that I would hire them here if there was a position open. It's not all these other things that qualify us to be sent out by God. Now, we should study to show ourselves approved. There's definitely something about that. And I'm not against educating yourself and training yourself, but it's in the relational way. It's not just knowing Him, it's knowing Him. Knowing Him. And, and so, I think this same fact holds true for us today. What qualifies us is if we know Jesus. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have or, or how much or how little education you have, but according to the Bible, what qualifies us is whether or not we've been with Jesus. And this is because, very clearly, it says it in 2 Corinthians, it's because Jesus provides everything that we need to Him, need to serve Him. He, ha- he provides everything that we need to serve Him. The external things and the internal things. The smarts, the heart. Think about this for just a second. The Apostle Paul, right? There's a time when the Apostle Paul is, is speaking before the council. And he says, man, I'm a Jew among Jews. Of the tribe of Benjamin, right? Educated in this way. You know, a keeper of the law, blameless, all of these things. I mean, Paul had the plaques to go all the way around the room. You know, he had all of the little dashes and, and, and letters, if you will, as we look at today, to, to qualify him for what, you know, he was doing. But the, the funny thing about it, not the funny thing about it, but the thing that God does is where Paul, from a worldly sense, might be the most qualified to minister to Hebrew people, God says, you're going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And what the Apostle Paul come to realize is what he writes here is, is that he says that all those other things, Paul says, I count it all as rubbish for the upper call of being in Christ Jesus. And so he writes to the Corinthian church this thing that we should be reminded of there today. And he, Paul, the one who could probably claim all these things, he says there's nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable of doing this work. There is nothing in us that allows us to claim that we are capable of doing this work. The capacity we have, he says, comes from God. It is He who made us capable of serving this new covenant, which consists not of a written law, but of the Spirit. And so we're told in verse 12, so they, with these instructions, with this empowering, with this equipping, they they went out and they preached that people should repent. Does that seem a little simple? Repent. That's the message. Still today. So they went out and, profe- and preached the, the, that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and, and anointed with oil many who were sick. And, he, and, they, and healed them. 
The message the apostles were sent to preach, the one that they were equipped for, the one that they were prepared for, the one that they were sent for, was a message of repentance. To preach a message of repentance. And it's the same message, guys. It's the same message that Jesus was preaching while he was here on this earth. And it is the same message that we have been sent to preach. The word repent is the Greek word metaneo. And it means to change one's mind, to make a decision to do things differently. Literally to go a different direction. To do things differently, to go a different direction. And the fact of the matter is that all of us, by nature, the Bible says that all of us has gone astray. Not just those of us who are here and have come to, to know Christ. We've already repented. There's, it's everyone in the world. Everyone. They've gone astray. All we like sheep have gone astray. In a way, the Bible says, that, it seems, that ultimately seems right to us. And in doing so, we willingly do the things that are against God's will, against God's command, against God's law. But, but God who loves us, the Bible says, acts according to His mercy, and He calls us to this place of repentance. To make a decision. Think about this when, we're, when you're considering those who you will be called to share this message with. To literally make a message to do things differently. Will you not do things differently? By the way, how is it working out for you? That's what I always like to say. I'm not so good. A decision to do things differently. Literally, it's a decision to do things according to God's will and not according to our own will. In fact, God tells us, right, this, this awesome, wonderful message of God's grace that if we confess our sins, the fact that we've broken His commands, the fact that we've done things our way and not His way, it says He will be faithful to forgive us of our sins. Is that not an awesome message that the world needs to hear? That's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of love and hope. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. To save the world. But listen, the worship team wants to come up and we'll wrap this up. If forgiveness, this forgiveness, it, it comes with a condition. And I want to be careful. I don't want to sound like I'm preaching salvation by works. It's not. Salvation by grace through faith. But forgiveness, this forgiveness of God, clearly Scripture teaches us it comes with a condition. What's the condition? To believe. To believe. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who paid that debt which we owed that came as a result of our sin. How did He pay it? By giving His life for ours upon a cross. And we must believe that Jesus was then raised from the grave, right? We're going to talk about that on Easter Sunday. Why is the resurrection so important to our faith? Why, do, why, why does everything hinge on that, right? But we must believe that, that He was risen, that He's raised from the grave, because this gives us the promise and hope. Again, back to promises and back to hope. What is that hope? What is that promise that we too, He being the first fruits of, of that, that we too will also be resurrected back to life once we die. That death is not final for us. The grave cannot hold us. And in believing this, we must also confess with our mouths. And not that confession saves you, but it's this declaration. Let, it's, it's literally that you've made a decision. And when you make a decision to follow Christ, Christ is saying, tell others about it. That we have allowed Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. In Romans chapter 10, right, verse 9, it says this, if you confess with your mouth, if you profess this decision that you've made, right, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be saved. And this salvation message of repentance is good news. It's referred to as the good news message because it's a free gift from God. It's a very expensive gift that was, was paid for at, at a great price by Christ. But it, it, it's a free gift from God to all, the Bible says, to whosoever will believe and put their faith in Jesus. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. We'll close with this this morning. It says this. 
this message that we've been given and sent out. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one of us should boast. And Father, I'm grateful for this reminder of this message of repentance, this gift of forgiveness that we have received when we put our faith in you, Lord. That you're faithful and just to forgive us, that, that Lord, um, that you've taken our unrighteousness upon yourself there at the cross and, and, and given to us your righteousness. I'm thankful, God, that you've done this and then you've brought us to us, that you've called us to you to follow you, that you've set us apart unto yourself. And Lord, truly, you've done that with a purpose, with an intention of us going out and sharing you with others, of declaring this, this life that we've found in you and how others may have it as well. And I pray, God, that that's what we would do today. Lord, as we look at the promises that we have in You and the hope that it affords to us, I pray, God, that we would be spurred along in faith. Lord, and take, take advantage of the opportunities that we wouldn't make excuses, Lord. As we look at ourselves and see our, our shortcomings, our, our faults, our weaknesses, Lord, that we would know that where we are weak, You are strong. That You are our provider. And, and then when we see the needs, Lord, and the things that You've called us to do and how we don't have what it takes to meet those needs, Lord, that we would trust that You will provide. God, I know that we all, in one way or another, have a story or many stories of how You've equipped us, how You've provided for us in ways that we could never have hoped for or imagined. And Lord, help us to walk in faith today as we see the end draw near, as we see the day approaching quickly. Lord, we know that time is short and that there are people out there, Lord, who still haven't um, repented, that haven't received the gift of salvation. And Lord, we want to be a church. We want to be a body of believers. We want to be family members, Lord, in You who who can get to heaven one day and know that people are there because we were faithful to you. Lord, help us to be a servant while we're here like you and not seek to be served. Lord, I just want to confess that it's, it's, it's difficult in this society that we live in, this, this consumer society that we live in, Lord, where everything is so readily available to us. Lord, to, to not seek to be dependent upon the things that are around us, but to realize that our dependency is upon you. So Lord, renew our minds again today. Transform us and conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand?